WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. Good evening and thank you for joining us. This is Abby Newton, Impact Exposure 89FM. Now tonight we have a busy show. We will be talking about the Spartans Will 360, which was an innovative presentation of the Michigan State President's Report. We will also discuss a new bike business that could come to Lansing. And later, Tyler Trahan will join us on the show to talk about the heavy and light event. Also throughout the show, we will play music that will be performed at the event. Lastly, we introduce you to Last Night Saved My Life, a band composed of Michigan State and other college students. But first, let's talk about Earth Day, which is just around the corner. This year, Earth Day in East Lansing will be celebrated as the Fenner Nature Center, in collaboration with MSU's Fisheries and Wildlife Club and the Nature Conservancy, hosts an event called Earth Day Extravaganza on April 20th. Now, from mist netting to bird walks to a garlic mustard pull challenge, which I have no idea what that is, but we'll soon find out, the event will offer people the opportunity to experience Earth Day in the midst of nature. Now, program manager Katie Woodhams is in the studio now to talk about the plans for the exciting day. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's going to be quite a day. So go ahead and just tell us all about what you guys are going to do. Sure. It's a, a way for us to celebrate nature, of course. And we do that by meeting our mission to celebrate nature and bring in stewardship, conservation, and education. So the MSU Fisheries and Wildlife Club has done an outreach at pro, outreach program at Fenner for a few years, and we decided to just kind of ramp it up a little bit. Um, so everything from students coming out and doing biological data collection, we'll have a bio blitz. So kind of figuring out which animals and plants actually live at Fenner. We'll have um, an opportunity to document that, and we can utilize that in the future so that we know what things have changed, which species compositions have changed, etc., um, but then we've also tagged on and had the Nature Conservancy wanted to come out and do a picnic event. So we've got that going on and just a whole slew of information and things about how to support the earth. And um, I was looking at your website and I saw it said as you're having a garlic mustard pole challenge. What is that exactly? Right. Garlic mustard is an invasive species. So it's a plant that is not supposed to be here and it basically takes over the forest. And so we're constantly pulling it out as, you know, as much as we can. And what we decided to make it a fun event and let people come out and see how much we can pull. Last year, our goal was to pull 1,000 pounds, and we did it all in one day. Um, so we actually pulled over a ton of garlic mustard, literal ton. And we had help of different corporate sponsors and MSU groups and different just families and friends coming out too. So all you really need to have is a little bit of finger dexterity and a garbage bag. <laughs> um, it's pretty easy. Perfect. Um, also, you're having a small mammal trapping. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So the FW Club, or Fisheries and Wildlife Club, is going to be demonstrating how to do different small mammal trapping. So they'll have they'll set the traps out. I think they bought about a case of peanut butter the other day. <laughs> um, so they'll be setting these traps throughout the week. And then people will have the opportunity to go out with the students and see if they caught anything overnight. Things like voles and mice and stuff. And we don't kill anybody, but we do observe them and mark them, you know, how, what we've seen as far as that bio blitz. Okay. And what about the pond dipping? Pond dipping is fun. So the FWGSO goes out there and we've got different nets and it's a chance for kids to get a little bit muddy and look for frogs and also some macroinvertebrates. So small animals that'll help us determine the quality of the water out there. Different ones are more sensitive to pollution, for instance. So we can actually keep track of what's out there and uh, indicate the water quality. 
Okay, and on top of the water, you're having a um, mist netting. <laughs> mist netting. What is, does it have to do with water as well? I hear the word mist. <laughs> it's actually a way to, to capture birds, live capture birds, and then we'll go out and we'll take them out gently. And sometimes we can put bird bands on their legs, and so you can actually keep track of the birds that are here. Um, so no, it has nothing to do with water, but it's a very thin-veiled net, so they, they call it a mist net. And that starts at 7 a.m. because you want to get that the birds out of there as soon as light breaks. So we'll be starting very early in the morning. You got the early birds. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> yeah, literally. literally. <laughs> um, now, how did the event go last year? Because this is the second annual. So how was the turnout last year? Last year, we were really excited. We had about 600 people. Despite some traffic issues, the marathon is the same weekend. So we're excited to have a little bit different days this year where our roads will be open and everybody can come. And because limited parking is a little bit limited, um, we're actually encouraging people to take the river trail. You can ride your bike right to Fenner from the river trail, either east or west. And it should be a hopefully not a rainy day. Maybe so, a little chilly, <laughs> but not rainy. So that's good. <laughs> Try not to jinx it, but it looks like it's going to be okay. <laughs> okay. Um, now, why do you feel Earth Day is important and why should it be celebrated? Well, as program manager at Fenner, every day I see kids come in for different educational programs or just visiting. And it's always uplifting to me to hear them learn something new. Um, but it also, at the same time, is a little disheartening what disconnect there is. Especially, you know, kids are a great example because they don't know anything that their their parents don't teach them. If they're not spending time outside, they're not learning to appreciate nature or even know what animals are out there. Um, for instance, I've had kids come out and for a school program and be terrified to get off the bus because they think there's tigers in the woods. Because <laughs> they just don't know. They haven't experienced it. And so to me, that's really imperative that if we want to have these environmental stewards in the future, we really have to start young. But it never fails. Events like Earth Day, we have different age groups doing these activities together. I remember last year there was a toddler and a senior citizen, an MSU student, and like a forestry person from the DNR doing an activity together, and they were all learning from each other. So it's kind of fun to have that opportunity. Mm -hmm, certainly. Um, now, why, what do you want people to take away from the event? If one, if one thing, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. There's too many things. Um, if anything, just to know that Fenner is a resource that people can come to for multitude of reasons. Everybody has their own reason to get out in nature. I know you mentioned running, so a lot of people <laughs> like doing that. We have a lot of trails that people run. But just that peace and serenity and just getting that connection back to nature, a lot of people don't realize that they're missing it. And oftentimes when I'm stressed and I just go out for a walk, it's an immediate mood lifter. So to me, I don't know the people I work with appreciate when I do that too sometimes. <laughs> and how did your love for nature begin? Um, as a kid, I always just had animals and I always wanted to live on a farm. My parents make fun of me because I wanted to be a pig farmer growing up. <laughs> and then I was a vegetarian for almost a decade. So I don't know how that worked out. Um, but I just like being outside and I like getting my hands dirty and the smells. And it's such a sensory experience to be outside. And to me, I just love it. And it's nice to get away from people sometimes, too, as mm -hmm. much as I like talking. <laughs> now, are there any other big um, highlights you want to include about the Earth Day extravaganza? Sure. Um, WKAR is actually going to be out there. We'll have a big tent set up. And so there'll be an event where um, people can come and watch Curious George Swings into Spring. So it's a family movie day, pretty much, at 9 a.m. that starts. Um, again, the Nature Conservancy has their picnic for the earth. We actually received um, a grant from National Wildlife Federation, so we'll have 500 baby trees for, up for adoption. So as part of their um, wildlife week and trying to reforest areas and provide homes for wildlife, we'll have little trees available to adopt. And, of course, then, you know, we have a fundraiser that evening that starts at 315, and that's always a fun event. It's called our Spring Social. 
Okay. Well, it sounds like, you know, it's going to be quite an exciting day in the Lansing area. And then the marathons this weekend, so it's a nice little roundup, I guess. <laughs> um, now, the Earth Day Extravaganza, again, is April 20th, and you can celebrate at the Fenner Nature Center. Uh, thank you very much, Program Manager Katie Woodhams, for joining us. Thanks. often that Spartans and Wolverines interact and are happy about it. However, a new business in Ann Arbor could be coming to Lansing. A2B Bike Share is a startup company founded by Keith Porter and Ansgar Strother, both students in the University of Michigan's College of Engineering. Now, I talked to Ansgar earlier this month about the company and its potential impact. A2B Bike Share is really addressing the need of the market for a bike sharing system that's affordable but has a rich feature set and it's really scalable. How does it operate? How our system operates is very different from all the other systems on the market. To give you some background, there's some current systems, the well-established players, B-Cycle Bixie, where you walk up to a kiosk, basically like an e-park machine, pay, and then it is, a bike is dispensed to you. You also have some new startups that are coming into space where you text in for a code and enter that into a keypad or something like that on the bike, and the bike then unlocks and you're on your way. For our bikes, we actually have a touch screen on the bike itself. So this really creates a very simple rental experience. You walk up, type in your information. Once you're approved, the bike unlocks from our dumb rack, and you're on your way. And how, how long has this been operating? This is still in the prototype phase. We're about to be launching with the Ann Arbor Google office, one bike um, to serve really as a proof of concept. We're then working um, right now to take that prototype into something that's commercially ready, and then do a 15 to 30 bike test system sometime this fall. And would the bikes be all across campus? So currently we're talking to you know several different cities and locations about who would be interested in hosting that. We are talking currently to Lansing, and MSU might be part of that in some way. For instance, if I was just running late for a class and needed a bike you know, really quickly, is that something I could access, or is it something that you have to plan in advance? So absolutely. For... Uh, students, it would be really easy to use. All you'd have to do is walk up, tap on the screen, and then it would approve you, and you'd be able to go on your way. Wow. So, oh, go ahead. Yeah. And then we do offer, you know, several, um, a website and then mobile apps for Android and iPhone to help you locate what that closest bike is to you. And how did the idea start for this project, or this business, I guess? Yeah, so... Um, Basically, it started out in a University of Michigan entrepreneurial class where we were um, basically had to come up with a new idea. And we started looking into bike sharing because we asked a simple question, why isn't it, you know, in Ann Arbor, Lansing, Detroit, you know, across the Midwest, really, when it does offer a lot of great benefits? And what we quickly found out is that the systems on the market were too expensive and, you know, their operations also were losing money. So when we looked at this, we saw that there were some key problems that the rack, for example, makes up 80% of that cost. And those type of things could be eliminated and improved. So we just started working on the project, talking to customers, and we came up with our current concept. And how has the response been so far? It's been good so far because 
during this whole process, we've been going out and talking to people, really designing a bike sharing system they want. And each time we show them, you know, we keep improving our system. And overall, we get the response of, this is really cool. When can I have it? When can I use it? So we're excited. Speaking in the future, what are your goals? Moving into the future, I did mention the um, 15 to 30 bike test is coming fall. And after that, we really want that to serve as validation that our system works on a larger scale. And then from there, start selling to communities where it's, you know, 300 bike systems, 1,000 bike systems, and really start growing from this region out into the country. And Lansing is one of those places, even though we're your big rivals? Uh, Absolutely. You know, um, (laughs) Lansing is a great community, and who knows, it might end up being that Lansing is that first city that we go into, which would be really exciting. I think so, yes. Um, Now, what other, I guess, have there been other areas, either in Michigan or across the country, that have really thrived with this program? Um, The best example of that would be D.C. They have currently the largest system, I believe. New York right now is about to be putting in a 10,000 bike system as well. Uh, If you're looking for more of a small town scale, uh, Madison and has had a really successful system, too, even though, you know, they have the cold weather and all. So <laughs> it just, bike sharing isn't just limited to those areas that say warm and sunny year-round. So do you have plans after graduation, or are you going to try to stick with this as a business? I would love to be able to continue working on this. You know, obviously, we got to keep moving forward and making progress, but if we can keep doing that, I want to be working on this. And what left do you have to do to really solidify that it's ready to go in the fall? Um, I mean, it's it's small technical improvements, just, you know, there's a little bit of, there's some things you have to do to turn something that's a prototype into something that's going to be robust and last for five years. So we're really working through that process right now. But with the team we've got in place, I'm confident we'll be able to do that. And will you have different types of bikes or will it be a universal bike across the board? So it's a universal bike, uh, the seat's adjustable, it's a step-through frame, so it really accommodates all sizes. All right. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to add? The cool part about the system, too, is that it's completely powered uh, by a solar panel on the back rack of the bicycle. So each unit is completely separate, uh, self-contained. You don't have to run power through your community or anything like that. So it makes implementation easy and you know, an even greener solution. Um, it's always interesting whenever we're showing off the bike, that's usually one of the first things people notice because they look on it and it says, you know, is that a solar panel? You know, what's going on here? So I'm picturing this big super bike, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that flies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Good luck with the project. We look forward to hearing it and maybe seeing it on campus. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. This 
is Abby Newton, and you're tuned into Impact Exposure. Now, Tyler Trahan is a Michigan State University student who believes that rescue is always a possibility in the midst of human suffering. Tyler has been seeking ways to help instigate discussion about how to heal and recover from suffering. He's here today to talk about the Heavy and Light event, which was created to shed light on the art of healing from difficult situations. Welcome to the studio, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell me about the Heavy and Light event. Um, okay, so the the heavy and light, uh, the tagline for it is that it's a uh, it's a night of songs, uh, conversation, and hope, and uh, that's exactly what it is. Uh, started with the organization to write love on our arms, uh, which a lot of people are familiar with by now, uh, but it's an organization that's dedicated to presenting hope and uh, finding help for people struggling with uh, some issues like uh, depression, addiction, self injury, and suicide. Uh, this night, heavy and light, uh, it's sort of a sort of a celebration of the fact that we're not alone in this. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure everyone can relate to pain or uh, to loss. Uh, we all have questions. We all get stuck in certain moments. Uh, but this night is a reminder that you're not alone in the places that you feel stuck. Um, what we have lined up for the night, uh, there's going to be performances by uh, some extremely talented musicians uh, coming in from the Detroit area. Uh, there's select performances by MSU Slam Poetry Team and multiple people, including myself, that will be sharing their stories of uh, some of the hardest moments of their life. Um, but most importantly, they'll also be sharing a strong message of hope and uh, a message that things do get better, uh, that there is life after survival. And what is the ultimate goal of the event and why do you feel that is it important? Um, well, I mean, I wish there was something like this uh, being put on for me when I was going through like uh, some of the hardest parts of my life, like my depression. Uh, it can be a really lonely, sort of self-defeating experience. Like it would have been great if there was an event like this that was like, you know, here, like, trust me, I know I know what it's like. Like I've been there, um, but, you know, like walk down this road because things do get better. Um, I mean, I've had close calls, but I've been fortunate enough to make it through those dark times. But I think the importance of the event is really reflected in, uh, there's this, there's this uh, excerpt from Andrea Gibson's spoken word, uh, which will actually be performed on Thursday, but it, it, it goes like this. It, it says, uh, the trauma said, don't write these poems. Nobody wants to hear you cry about the grief inside your bones. Uh, but my bones said, Tyler Clementi jumped from the George Washington Bridge into the Hudson River, convinced he was entirely alone. So my bones said, write the poems. And uh, so, yeah, I, I feel like this event is so important. It's important for people to really realize that they're, that they're not alone in this. I mean, you know, you can walk down, like, Shaw Lane at MSU and pass by, like, 5,000 unfamiliar faces uh, that might look at you like you're an object or, like, uh, maybe the way your professor might see you, like, as a PID. But, I mean, we're all people uh, going through real things, fighting real battles. Uh, and I think people would be surprised if they could see the souls of these people that are that are really so similar to themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, later you're going to talk about what motivated you to create the event. But before that, you say that we all wake to the human condition. You know, we wake to mystery and beauty, but also to tragedy and loss. What do you mean by this and how do we wake? Um, so in this case, I think to wake is sort of being able to really uh, open up your eyes or to pay attention or to feel. I mean, I think there are days like when, when we as students really feel like um, we feel like drones almost, like getting up for our 8 a.m., <laughs> blindly taking notes and sipping coffee that's like gone cold after an hour and a half lecture. I mean, the day-to-day day -day can really be a drag. Uh, but I think it's things like beauty or love or tragedy, tragedy loss um, 
that can really cause us to come out of that state. Um, part of being human is that, yeah, you're going to go through hard times. Um, you might fall into a depression. Uh, you're going to struggle. Uh, everyone can identify with pain. It, like I said, it is unfortunately part of being human. But what I'm also trying to make people realize is that there is hope. Uh, people gravitate towards hope. Uh, hope's sort of like a lighthouse. And it's it's a very real thing. And uh, if there's anywhere that you can find hope, it uh, it can definitely be at Heavy and Light. Mm-hmm. And what did motivate you to create this event? Um, well, the inspiration, uh, like I sort of mentioned before, mm-hmm. uh, comes from the organization uh, To Write Love on Our Arms, right? And uh, their message and their vision, it's, it's, it's so great. And they were really something I, I gravitated towards uh, during my times of, of some really intense struggle. They do a heavy and light show, which originated in Orlando, Florida, which contained a lot of things that I really wanted to share with people. Uh, but on top of that, I also attended an event that's somewhat similar to this before, and the impact that it had on me was astounding. Uh, there was one day uh, back in January. I mean, I'm, I'm a graduating senior. Like these are my last. Uh, this is my last semester. My last couple of weeks here, and I really just wanted to do something meaningful, something impactful, something that uh, made a difference. And I remember there was one day back in January um, where I was just like. That's it. You know, I'm 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 gonna make this event. Like I, I had an idea in my head. Like I had no idea how to make it happen, but I was going. I was gonna make sure it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been an amazing, inspiring ride. Uh, seeing it all get pieced together, and uh, I'm so excited to see it all play out live uh, on Thursday. What do you hope that people do take away from the event, if anything? If you could pinpoint one or two things. Um, well, first of all, that that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like I said, that 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 we're all in this together. Um, and that it does get better. It does get better. And, and it's so hard to actually believe that when, when, when you're in it. Um, but, I mean, we're having these people that are going to be sharing testimonies, like their own stories of, of, like, the deepest, darkest parts of their life. And here they are. They're out of it, like, leading happy, fulfilling lives now. And I think that's something that I really want people to see. And when you are going through difficult times, did these type of conversations help you? Uh, yeah, yeah, they, they definitely did. The, I think the problem is that there's not enough of those conversations. And, and that's another goal of Heavy and Light is that we're really trying to create a conversation that kind of lasts um, long after the show's over. Um, getting this in the open and talked about is very important so people can see um, they're not alone. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I hear also at the event, as you mentioned earlier, the Poetry Slam Club will be performing. Mm-hmm. So we have a little sneak peek. So we're going to go ahead and play that. Yeah, sure. Come closer. Come into this. Come closer. What beautiful battlefields you are. You are quite the beauty. If no one has ever told you that before, know that right now. You are quite the beauty. There is joy in how your mouth dances with your teeth. Your smile is simply a sign of how sacred your life actually is. So step into it. Come closer. And that was, again, the Poetry Slam Club will be performing something similar at the event on Thursday. Um, now, also, what can people expect from the event? Um, well, uh, like I said, they, they, they can take away those certain things that I just mentioned before, but I think it's really going to be a great night. We plan uh, to invite people into this conversation through some amazing musical performances, uh, so much talent. I mean, uh, Nina Ledesma, she's going to be there. She's She's been scouted by producers in Hollywood already. Um, I mean, I'm so honored to have her perform. 
uh, Erica and Jeff Amros, amazing people with amazing talent. Uh, their performances are going to be unreal. And uh, also they can expect to hear some real, genuine spoken word performances. Uh, I mean, as we've already mentioned, the Slam team is going to be there. And they're literally some of the coolest people I've ever I've ever met. Uh, and their performances will seriously like leave you standing there just shook. They're, they're so good. Um, and then, yeah, like I've already said before, we're going to have people, including myself, sharing their personal stories uh, about their personal battles and these heavy issues, uh, but also delivering a message of hope um, that a lot of us are doing so much better now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great. And we wish you the best of luck at your event. Uh, again, the Heavy and Light event will take place on Thursday at 8 p.m. in the Erickson Kiva. Tyler Trahan, thanks for joining us and thanks for sharing your story. All right, thank you so much. Shaking, I'm treading as well, turning cracks in the lens, going to a place where the night's eyes Now, you may have heard the phrase Spartans will. Recently, in a president's report, unlike any other, this phrase became Spartans Will 360 as a group of determined Spartans took us on an adventure around the world to see firsthand work and research by Michigan State scientists, scholars, and students. Yesterday, I got the story from the people who traveled across four continents to document how Spartans are making a positive difference in communities throughout the globe. Welcome to the studio. Can you introduce yourselves? Jim Peck, executive producer host. Lisa Mulcrohn, senior communication manager. Kurt Stepnitz, senior photographer. All right. Well, first, I kind of want to just talk about what Spartans Will 360 was. What was its purpose? If you could just break it down for us, that'd be excellent. I think the main purpose of it is to talk about all the amazing work that's going on around the world by Spartans. Um, One of the things that we talk about basically every day with our jobs is telling stories about people who are out there trying to solve the world's most difficult problems and answer the most difficult questions around the world. And Michigan State being a giant research university has people who are literally all around the world. Um, We knew that the president's report was coming up. We do this every year. And we talked about doing something a little different that was taking people along with us on an actual experience rather than just our doing the production in various places. And usually our production isn't as far flung as it was on this one, thank goodness. Um, but we uh, we thought it would be interesting to do something that people could go along, a trip they could really take the tour, take the trip with us, um, and let them in sort of behind the scenes as we're doing all this. And then really g- hopefully give them a first-person feeling like they're on the ground as this work is happening. So not telling stories about what's happening at MSU, but but taking people there and really giving them and experience and as much as we could bring them with us on the trip. And what has the response been from people? Oh, it's been, it was great. Um, it was, we had a lot of really good response while we were doing the trip and people were responding via Facebook and Instagram and uh, comments on our blogs. And a lot of um, people were visiting the site that we were creating as we went. Um, lots of positive feedback. People who had no idea just the expanse of MSU's reach around the world, you know, especially when we're in these really tiny little towns in the middle of nowhere in Africa. And yet you find MSU researchers doing really important work and helping communities. And I don't think people really realized that until they were able to see it through our pictures and our videos and read about it through our words as we were there. So it was a really phenomenal response, a much bigger response than we've had toward any other 
president's report that we've done in the past. And I, I just want to say real quickly for everybody who's listening, they're not seeing us. Lisa does not usually sound quite this sultry. Um, <laughs> she's been, she claims that it's some sort of an ailment, a respiratory thing. Mm-hmm. I think maybe this is just a persona she's trying yeah. out for radio. Maybe. It sounds great. It, yeah. I, we think so too, Kurt, and I like it. Yeah, very um, mysterious. Yeah, you know? it is. Exactly. <laughs> it is. Um, now, Kurt, as a photographer, you know, your job was to really document the trip through images and as a producer as well. How difficult was it to document such y- unique experiences? The cool, the cool thing about MSU research is that it, it all lends itself to, to telling great stories about MSU, the, the stuff that MSU does. And uh, Jim's a visual storyteller. Lisa's a storyteller with her words. So it's what's fun is, is being able to do it together. We, and that's the way we kind of approach these projects. It's all a team effort. It's not, it's not all about still photos or, or video or, or, or blogs or, or stories. It's all together. And that's, uh, that's, that's one of the beauties and one of the joys that we have working together and traveling together, and particularly in, in such a compact, massive amount that we did on this particular project. But it's kind of an easy thing. You go in and you just just try to tell a story and with the tools that you have. Mine just happens to be a still camera. Jim's is is kind of the big package, big package video. And Kurt's always bumping into things. He almost noise. knocked his water bottle over again for the folks at home. I feel like I'll do color commentary yeah, tonight for you. Yeah, this is good. This is a great relationship. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're used to this. Don't dislocate your shoulder again. I'll try not. Oh, yeah. that happened on the trip. Yep, uh, just once. This what time. happened? Well, you only have two shoulders. How often do you expect it? That That's yeah. true. Uh, we did that. That happened in China. Or kind Don't of say we. In the trip. <laughs> We had nothing to do with it. We weren't even in the room. (laughs) That was not a team effort. It was a team effort getting me uh, taken care of. It was absolutely a team effort. No, we just just have – it's it's really kind of a big – we we look at it all together. It's 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 and that's that's what was cool about this whole project from the get go is we knew that it was going to have all these facets of storytelling. It's uh, it's a it's really a pleasure to, to be able to do this and, and again see old friends sometimes some of our researchers and, and a lot of new ones on these trips that we are all able to meet together mm-hmm. and Lisa we were talking before that you were gone from what was the date again January January 4th I think uh, January 5th January 5th and we got back February 22nd Second. Wow. and mm-hmm. so the three of us were gone solid that whole time and spent every day together <laughs> So which, is bonded, not, yeah, which is not something <laughs> yes. you normally do with your coworkers. You don't normally spend that much time together. But Nor do you want to. <laughs> often. 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 No, the people but... through the glass here are nodding. They're looking at you and saying, yeah, let's try it. Gosh, darn it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really so, um, so, yeah, it was a really long trip, and we took only carry-on luggage because we were moving so fast and so quickly that we just couldn't take the risk of having our luggage get lost behind. It would never catch up with us. Um, so that was a challenge in itself. We saw each other in the same clothes a lot. <laughs> so that's all we had. But, um, you know, it was a great trip. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things, you know, we talked about Kurt dislocating his shoulder. And, and we have a lot of stories that are on the website and in our blogs and stuff like that. Um, one of the things we hoped, not that it was going to be quite as dramatic as what Kurt did, but that when we were out there in bringing people along, like I said, on this experience, that they would get to see sort of behind the curtain of what we do and hopefully learn about us as people being out there on the trip. So there wasn't, in this case, there was really no separation between the stories and the storytellers. Um, and I think that was one of the neat things about the project, that it was, um, in a sense, it was our version of reality television, but we don't really think about 
think about it like that. I mean, we've all been doing our version of some sort of reality media our whole careers. News is reality, television stories. We're telling real stories about real people. Um, but this was a chance for people to come along to some really exotic places, to some not exotic places, but to take a look at some work that was going on that's very important around the world. And also see us sort of stumble our way around the planet and, and the goofy stuff that happened and um, the serious stuff that happened, the painful stuff that happened. Again, Kurt with his shoulder and uh, we had some other people that had a couple of little minor ailments along the way. Nothing, nothing too serious, but that's all part of the whole trip and, and any experience you go on, especially if you travel much, those kinds of things happen and planes get delayed and missed and you have weird food. And, and um, to us, that was one of the things that was going to be fun was taking people along and letting them see some of that too. Mm-hmm. And Lisa, this is your first time to really travel internationally like this. And you went through four continents. <laughs> what was your experience like and what did you learn through it? Um, it was absolutely amazing. You know, that word gets overused so much, but that's really the best way to describe this trip. Um, I never thought I would do something like that. And so to be able to do that was a once in a lifetime chance. And to be able, I'm, you know, I'm such a Spartan at heart. I graduated from here. I've worked here forever. Um you know, I've always been really, really proud to be a Spartan, but to be able to go around the world and share really cool, incredible stories from some fascinating researchers, um, to be able to represent, um, you know, other Spartans in the world and bring back those stories to them was just, it was incredible. It was just a great, great opportunity. Um, and it was, you know, I, I think it was easier than I thought it was going to be when we really got there. Jim's such a seasoned traveler that he's able to get us through anything, you know, missed flights in Tanzania and weird food and cold, no heat and, you know, all those kinds of things, bumpy car rides and up the mountains. Um, So it actually was not as hard as I expected it to be. It wasn't easy, but, um, you know, you just kind of roll with the punches. You have to have a certain kind of personality, I think, that the three of us have and everybody else who was on the trip and, quite frankly, all the researchers who do the work day in and day out to just roll with the punches and take what comes and and do the best you can with it. But for me, the the most fascinating thing was, you know, I've been telling stories about MSU research for years in my job. um, And that's great. And that's one thing. But to actually go there and watch them do their work, you know, to walk through a malaria ward with um, Dr. Burbeck or walk through the streets of the slums of Bangladesh with someone who's been doing research for 10 years on organ trafficking. That's the stuff that really hits home when you see it face to face. And I hope that we were able to kind of bring that personal feeling back to people who were following along on the trip. Mm-hmm. And Kurt, what was your favorite part of the trip, or I guess the most eye-opening, even? Uh, probably a lot, so so much of it. I, you know, as Lisa and Jim say, but I think two things that were I really really enjoyed were uh, China was very interesting in uh, in an odd way because I actually have a degree in geology, which I've never used professionally from MSU, and so I had never really seen a massive area with with an area, I should say, with massive earthquake damage like we were in up in the Panda Research Area. And it was uh, striking, and I took a lot of photographs. showed my daughter, who's also, who has, actually is a working geologist. She was pretty fascinated a couple weeks ago by that. That was pretty fascinating. Uh, Rwanda was remarkably beautiful. That was strikingly more lush than other parts of the African continent that we visited. And uh, if if there were... Uh, that's probably one of the first places of the the locations we visited that I would I would go back and you know take my family to because it was just beautiful and the folks were really lovely too they were everywhere but that was just a really pretty place and Jim you know as a <clears throat> producer you, and all of you your job is to tell the story but what did you want the audience to really take home Lisa mentioned kind of a personal feel with what the researchers are, are doing and what's happening in the country but would you like to add anything else 
Well, I think I think Lisa's right, and I think some of the things Kurt said as well. Um, you know, I think it's one of the important things is for people to realize that these are things that are happening through Michigan State. I mean, I think so often people think about tough things that are happening in the world, and they think about aid agencies, and they think about, you know, they picture food drops and, you know, bringing in water and things like that. Um, we're not doing that. You know, we're not just sending money over to some of these places. We're not sending a bunch of clothing. We're not sending shoes. I mean, sometimes that comes along with it. But the researchers and the people who are out there working and, and the students as well that are over there, we, we ran into a number of students uh, and talked with them. They're out there really trying to solve these problems. And I think that that's something that not a lot of people think about in a real concrete way when you're thinking about a university. You know, I think people think that you learn about these projects, you're doing research in some obscure lab about some weird infection that I've never heard of, and maybe they'll discover something else along the way. But these people are really out there on the ground in these places, and they're embedded. I mean, and, and they're truly a part of the landscape there, both physically and I think emotionally and psychologically. When you, Lisa talked about Gretchen Burbeck, the doctor who's working in the, with epilepsy and other things in, uh, in Zambia. And we another trip we went out and met with Terry Taylor. We were with the um, doctors in Merida, Mexico. We we're with people all over the place. They're living there. They're working there. This is their life. They're not studying this from afar. They're right there. They're living this every day. And they're trying to make the whole world a better place by trying to solve these problems. And I know it sounds a little lofty and it sounds like kind of like that's our shameless plug for how great MSU is. But the reality is that somebody really does have to do these things. And a lot of times it happens through places like Michigan State with the people who have devoted their entire lives, entire working careers to solving these problems. And so getting there on the ground and seeing those things happening and meeting those people, I hope that people who watched this, who followed us along, maybe came along because it looked like a fun experience, but stayed because they realized that it was so important. And and hopefully the people that are affiliated with MSU, whether you went here, whether you work here, whether you follow Tom Izzo, whatever it is, that they'll come away with a deeper appreciation for what we're really doing here and why this is so important. And being, you know, together, traveling so long, were there any other interesting anecdotes that you'd like to share? I have to say, um, <laughs> Colin Marshall, who yes. is one of the guys who was with us on the trip, is on the other side of the glass in this production room. <laughs> Come on room. in, Colin. You can He's join this conversation. Come he on was, in. He was making faces at us and, I think, um, obscene like gestures. <laughs> we signed a form that said we couldn't say anything obscene, but he was making obscene gestures. So I just Colin. want to point that out. He was behind the glass, so he's okay. Behind the glass, <laughs> yeah. Um, and now there's fist pumping going on and... I'm not sure what that was, but okay. <laughs> Colin was the video, one of the video guys um, who went on the trip. So what was your experience like, Colin? Um, I mean, I, I love traveling abroad. It's incredible. I get to uh, learn about a place I've never been to and very, you know, be very immersed. And then I get to tell a really meaningful story coming out of that, uh, which I, I do a lot of projects kind of freelance um, because I'm an out-of-state college student trying to pay for school. But, you know, this one I felt like meant a lot more to me than other stories that I tell. So it felt good to do that. Well, and it meant a lot for us to have Colin's work with us, and we've, we've done some television stuff with him, and, and it was great to have Colin and um, Kirk Mason along with us, and to have students that are part of MSU right now. I mean, these are Colin, and I know he works here at the radio station and does <laughs> stuff. Um, great to have people like Colin and Kirk out there with us really doing the work. You know, again, this was none of this was for show. I mean, they were out there doing a real job. They were places where none of us was at the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they carried a lot of the load sometimes, and and again, that I think speaks to MSU, and, and this is another sort of shameless plug thing. But um, you know, we couldn't have done this work without the students who are going here, 
And so, I mean, we have every end of the spectrum. We had alums, we had staff, we had faculty, we had researchers, we had students. It, it, it truly was a huge team effort to pull this off, and it took every aspect of people who are plugged into Michigan State to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And you acted like you were going to say something. Is there... Well, it's just that, that Kirk and Colin both were just did remarkable stuff on their on their stories, and 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 they they not only did video, they did still photos for the Bangladesh story, and it was just they just did a fabulous job, and it was a joy having them along. They're they're great guys, and a breath of fresh air for us old fogies. <laughs> the seniors. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was cool to like rub shoulders <clears throat> with media professionals like like you, Kurt, and um, and Jim, and Al and some of the other crew members who have been doing this for a long time because it kind of helps us to work at a higher level. And also just, you know, working with other creatives, you're getting different perspectives contributing to the same project. So I think within that collaboration, you're getting a lot of the middle area in the Venn diagram that you're kind of after. So that was cool. And what was the most unexpected thing that you witnessed or saw or experienced on your trip? Uh, Well, we did a story in Bangladesh about people who um, sold their organs uh, for money because they, you know, they owed the federal government money because of loans, things like this. And so we we actually interviewed some people that had sold like a part of their liver or one of their kidneys. And so after the interview, we asked, can we see your scar? And so these people have, and you can see it on the website, the, the scars are like the size of Texas across their abdomen. And to know that, I mean, to watch this guy holding his four-year-old child and then to see that huge scar on his chest was like, I don't even know that life. I'm so far removed from what that's like. It was tough to walk away from it. Sounds like it. Are there any other interesting, um, you know, anecdotes, stories, or experiences you'd like to share? Well, I mean, it kind of goes along with what Colin said, just kind of the experience that is so completely different from what we're used to here. Um, you know, it was... It was hard for me to see so many kids in so many places um, who have virtually nothing. But what was kind of inspiring is that kids are kids everywhere. So they all still wanted to jump and laugh and, and, you know, gather around us and kick a ball made of plastic bags or pull a little car that they made out of milk cartons and corn cobs. And, um, you know, so it was inspiring to see that, but it was hard. I still think of those kids because mm-hmm. there were just so many of them and they, they have so little um, you know, that's kind of eye-opening. It kind of changes you, changes your perspective for the rest, for the rest of my life, I'm sure. Um, and to be someplace where I was so different, every single place we went to, um, being white and blonde-haired, um, we attracted a lot of attention. Jim's very tall. He was tall everywhere he went. Kurt always had cameras. So everywhere we went, especially the kids, they wanted to run up. And I had, you know, they wanted to touch my hair. They wanted to touch my skin. Um, you know, so it's just, it's a completely different world. It's something I had never experienced before, never dreamed I would experience. Um, but that was probably the hardest thing for me, is to see people with so little, and just because they happen to be born in a particular place, and I was lucky enough to be born here. And one last question I have. What was it like, after you finished, you know, that month and a half, two months of traveling, landing in the United States, and going back to your life? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think... I, we're still sort of in that moment. I mean, we've been back because the after we landed, um, which was a, a kind of a shock, but I mean, we we knew it was coming, and we've traveled before. Um, and I, but I think we still had you know four stories to go once we landed back in Michigan. And I think one of the parts that was sort of difficult is everybody in our families and who we worked with sort of thought, well, they're back. Let's just get back to work. And they and we were still on the road, if mm-hmm. you will, even though we were in Michigan. Um, 
But I think that, you know, we all talked about this on the road. I, I, I know from traveling a lot that reentry can be difficult. And you are never ready for how people are going to react to a trip like this. And you're not quite sure how you're going to react. And I think the reality is, and is, is that you get back. And other than the three of us, nobody really knows what it was like. And, you know, the three of us were together the entire time. And um, we were at the places where all the stories were happening. And as much as we try to describe it, as much people read our words and listened to our words and, and looked at the videos, they can't know what it was like for just the three of us to be together for that long. And I think that's one of those experiences that you can't really explain. And, and that makes it an interesting experience to come off of because you, there's no way to really relate to people what it was. Um, so you come away with a, a, a big handful of experiences, but you also come away with, I think, a personal experience and relationship the way we do with the three of us that, that really can't be explained, but it's something that you hold. And I think that, you know, I'll hold that for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Anything else you guys like to add? Um, you know, just one, one thing about, um, about the researchers who we met, you know, we work in the in the communication and branding office, and we always talk about, you know, being proud Spartans, but being humble and, you know, using knowledge for practical good and, and practical purposes and changing lives and all that. And, you know, it's fine to say all those things. When you get out there in the field and you are literally standing in a bean field in Rwanda and you see the work that these researchers are doing, what amazed me is it's like all those things we've said about Spartans are really true. These people are so humble. They're brilliant, but they are so humble. You talk to them and ask, well, you know, why do you do this? This isn't easy. It's not easy to live in Zambia six months of the year and, you know, have snakes in your front yard. And they all just looked at us and said, like, well, that's because what I'm supposed to do. I'm this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, knowledge is great, but knowledge without helping people doesn't mean a whole lot. So it was really, really absolutely inspiring to see the work that they do on a daily basis and feel really proud that we work at the university that we work at that allows people to have these impacts on people all over the world. It's very cool. I mean, anybody who's a Spartan should be really proud. I mean, these are really cool people. They're Not only are they brilliant, but they're people you'd want to hang out with, you know, and just go have a beer with. They're just sure. really awesome people. So, And Kurt, would you like to add anything? Well, it's just I, I totally agree with what Lisa's saying. And what Jim's saying, too, we have we, – we, we became – we were a good team uh, from the front end, and, and now uh, we have a whole different level of dependency or, or, or ability to depend on each other in, in, in really odd, unusual situations on top of the everyday workplace, <laughs> which can be shoulders. odd, as everybody yeah. knows. <laughs> Let me tell you, at midnight in a Chinese ER where no one speaks English, that's, <laughs> that's a right. whole surreal experience. <laughs> that brings you a little closer, I think. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> But it, but all that all that together was was just really a great way to tie together all all of these pretty remarkable researchers and, and folks that were doing these things and they do it here on campus they do it here in the state they do it around the United States and they do it all over different little corners of the world and it was pretty remarkable to be able to be there and see it firsthand. Yeah, just bouncing off of Lisa's point about the the people that we told stories about are very are very humble, but I also recognize a lot of the humility humility in the crew that traveled together as well. Um, and more of, you know, I left a lot of these impoverished places thinking, you know, I'm just, I, I'm a guy with a camera. Like, I'm not here really, like, helping these people to have better lives or have sustainable lives. Um, so, like, what is my role? How am I the person that's helping? But I think that we've done a big part in exposing these issues, and that's kind of, like, our role in solving something. Um, so while we're not in Zambia with snakes in our front yards, we are you know, taking pictures and interviewing those people and, and really making it known. 
And uh, I think that's kind of kind of cool. I look at my job very differently. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys very much. This is Jim, Lisa, Kurt, and Colin with MSU 360. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks very much. This is Last Night Save My Life. You're listening to Solid Ground. Last Night Saved My Life, a band composed of a few Michigan State students as well as a few other students from different universities in Michigan. Now, we sat down with the band earlier this week to discuss their music, history, and their unique dynamic. I'm Justin Burns. I play guitar. I'm Ryan Weber. I play bass. And I'm Wilson Shaner, and I do vocals. Our drummer, Eric Cousins, goes to Grand Valley State, and one of our other guitar players, Riley Hupfer, goes to Saginaw Valley State. How difficult is it to practice with students from other schools throughout the state? It gets pretty tough because we don't have a regular practice space that we can all go to, you know, every week. But we still do schedule shows uh, here in Lansing and also back home in Saginaw. And we're able to play, you know, every month and still get together and um, p- put on performances. But the thing is that if we were to able if we were able to all live in the same spot and all have a practice space we would probably want to play every weekend which we just can't do right now so it's probably good for your schooling that you live yeah, in different yeah. <laughs> yeah we're hoping how long have you guys been together i think like 3 years okay. yeah we started three. in uh we started in november or october of 2009 yeah we were all in high school still and we like found these guys on facebook one day and we're like oh they look like they can play music and then <laughs> The other guys we found at our high school, so then we started playing there. We asked Wilson to sing for us just at some, like, high school, like, talent show thing, and I don't think he knew <laughs> that we wanted him to be full-time, like, in the band, and then yeah. after, like, hey, you want to be in the band? So. I thought it was a one-song-and-done kind of deal. <laughs> you got dragged right yeah. in, huh? Yeah, but I'm glad I did. After high school football games, we get everyone to go, like, 
out on a deck. It was like 12 o'clock at night. Everyone just came out and sh- we didn't have a singer. People would like come up and just sing for us the songs they knew. It was just like. I didn't of know how far that. we <laughs> you weren't because we didn't have a singer yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like how far we have come, I guess. Like, so you I'll started try... out as you know little kids with braces and yeah. trying to grow <laughs> and, and like, we, out, we thought we were the greatest band ever that we could play a cover song. <laughs> and it's like it wasn't even a good. Oh, it didn't even sound good. Like we have videos from like when we first played. Just from that to now, it's just like. <laughs> Do you find yourself constantly reminiscing about those times? Recently, we kind of. <laughs> We were posting old pictures of, like, what we all looked like when we found each other. <laughs> or, like, the the first show we ever played together, we were just, like, running around. Like, <laughs> we tried to have a lot of energy, but it didn't sound the greatest. But <laughs> we did the best we could, I guess, for how young we were. So yeah, You've been really nostalgic lately about it. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's cool that we've been friends for that long and have grown up that long mm-hmm. together. So it, We wrote about it a little bit in the, our new songs. It's like... The whole thing of like you having to grow up and like getting our internships, getting jobs, and like but still like loving this and like what we're gonna be able to do and both have to like you have to pick one kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, and do you guys write your own music? Yeah, we just uh, recorded a five song uh, EP. We did that over Christmas break in Grand Rapids. So we this is our second EP. So we've been writing yeah since like high school. So who does the majority of the writing? Or is no. it a collective effort? Yeah, normally it's, like, me and the other guitarists will normally, like, write the guitar parts, or and then we'll bring it to the rest of the band and Wilson, and he'll write lyrics for it. But lately we've been, like, working more with, like, Wilson, like, like collaborating with the lyrics, like, helping him with lyrics. He'll help us with guitar stuff, so. Where do you get your inspiration? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, you know, there's a wide variety of other bands that inspire us um but i think that the feelings of the songs are really inspired by things that happen to us in our lives just things that we're going to going through um and also just a lot of it's inspired by friends and just kind of growing up and changing throughout our lives and what future performances do you guys have coming up a big thing we're trying to push right now is we're trying to get on the warp tour for the detroit date so um, there's, like, a voting thing right now, and we're, like, fifth right now in Det- for the Detroit date. So okay. we're feeling pretty good about that. So hopefully we just keep getting the support. Yeah, that's really what we're pushing right now. I've been going to Warp Tour for the last six or seven years, just watching those bands and growing up, loving it. So to be just to play at Detroit, even in front of, you know, a crowd of half of what some of the big bands have, it would just be such an experience. And, and what are your future goals as a band? Besides Warp Tour. <laughs> well, the summer we plan just to uh, get down to writing and everything. Uh, we want to put out a full length. So that's our, I think that's our goal right now is just to go hard this summer uh, while we're all together and do what we can, uh, writing as many songs as we can, and hopefully have some that make the cut for a full length. So, And another goal is I'd, it's hard to get a lot of students at Michigan State to really know about local bands. Uh so I guess another one of our goals would be to just kind of raise awareness about local music and um, local bands and shows around the area in East Lansing. So what goes into the writing of a song? How long is the process, and what does it really entail? <laughs> I guess there's... Every song has, like, a different way of starting. Sometimes one of us will have, like, a lot of it written out beforehand, like, we'll know exactly directions or, like, 
we'll have the lyrics written with it, but then other times we'll struggle <laughs> with like we'll have one part, but then have troubles getting other parts to fit around it, and so it'll I guess change. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it'll vary from like we could come up with it in like a day, like the main structure and lyrics, or other times we'll get so frustrated we'll like come back to it later. We basically wrote one of our songs in the studio as we were about to record because um, we didn't have it fully finished. And the guy that was recording us, he wanted us to sort of buff it out right then and there. And that, that song was actually our <coughs> easiest one to write, even though we were under the most pressure. Yeah, we were just kind of in the studio. Together. Yeah, it just it felt good and it worked. Whereas other ones we spent a year or more on <laughs> and just like just to buff it out so yeah. it just really depends yeah. on so that can be the hard part of like being a part two is like we'll start something but then like oh we have to go back to school so it's like things yeah <laughs> things. So we have so many we'll start so many different songs at the same time that it's like we gotta slow down and just focus on one yeah mm-hmm. that makes sense um are there any other funny weird awkward anecdotes you'd like to share from your time together we've kind of created this um this family, and it's called the Labani family, and okay. it's just it's just kind of something that we do, and um, we make videos and stuff about it. Where we're this family, we're, we're maybe like a Sounds country, so like a southern country family, <laughs> and we all have different names, uh, and we just we just create these characters, and we talk in you know kind of hick voices. Do you so, want to demonstrate? Like, come on, Bobby Labani, where my girlfriend Sheila. And it's so <laughs> Is it between the band? Or yeah, okay. oh yeah. If our other guitarist was here, yeah. it's we, him and Wolf the normal. We try to, uh, we, I wanted to incorporate it in our last show that we played at the Loft. I wanted us to come out in our costumes and uh, kind of get the crowd into it by acting like a sick family, but it didn't happen. So hopefully sometime in the future we'll get to do that. I, I think it all started one, like, MSU Halloween. We all dressed up as, like, super rednecks. Yeah. And so Riley has carried around this costume ever since, and <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's kind of his costume, <laughs> yeah. where he's got, like, a mullet oh, yeah. and, like, a jean jacket, and just, like, oh, whenever God. he needs a costume, it's the Bobby costume. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So does he have it carried with him in all of his band gear? Yeah. Yeah. Just in case. <laughs> yeah. You never know. <laughs> it's it's basically just started with him, and, like, he we just featured him in videos, and then just, like... It's grown. And all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, now we're a family. <laughs> <laughs> You have a very interesting title for your band, Last Night Saved My Life. Where did that come about? We were in high school when we came up with it. We, it was like the biggest struggle to come up with a name. We had like all these different ideas. No one agreed on it because <laughs> I guess it's hard to get five guys to like when we all have different ideas. So I honestly don't even remember where we came up with it. But then throughout the years, it's like taken over different meanings. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a band called Transit that has a song like Return Address that has like lyrics that are just crazy. Like I listened to it one day and it's like, that's like our band name and so like that sort of gave its own meaning for me but we sort of use it as a tool to like engage our audience i guess uh we like ask them what it means to them and we've sort of just like found meaning in it through just what it means to other people so and the meaning that i've found in it is is kind of just thinking about um maybe it's a night that happened where you you were kind of feeling lost and you didn't really know what, what was going on in your life and then maybe friends or some someone close to you kind of helped you through it and brought it back together, and then you can think the next day, you know, last night's kind of saved my life. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's just, the, you know, those little things that you don't realize uh, that, that could have changed your life in a, a huge way, but you didn't know, like, until you, like, you look back on it. It's like, holy crap, like, that just changed everything for me, so. 
hopefully in positive ways. I yes, think. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're going for. <laughs> And that was last night's Saved Your Life. Uh, They will close our show tonight with a song off their EP. Thank you for tuning in and spending your Tuesday evening with Exposure. Special thanks to our producer, Gabriela Saldivia, and our assistant producer, Will Meineke. Also, thank you to our station manager, Aaron Young, and our general manager, Ed Glazer. Keeping you informed and bidding you farewell until next Tuesday. I'm Abby Newton, Impact Exposure, 89FM. This is Last Night Saved My Life. You're listening to Alive and Young. Just because the sun was waiting to see your face now No matter how things feel You should know there's plans above That no one can steal And I'm no longer scared Because I see that life has made us more than I'm glad to be alive and young And even though I'll have bad days Let them come It's a great night with the street light I'll try to take this slow To understand the way the night is supposed to go I have an idea, I am right here There's everything, there's nothing at all